do you feel like you're effective? If that drops out, if you can, if you say, no, I don't feel effective. Or I don't feel like I can make a difference. Or I don't feel like I can make a difference or whatever. Um, Then, then burnouts, you know, high probability. Yeah. It's a high probability. That's what's going on. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the leading voice of crucial conversations confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow in this never normal world. Ira, I got to say, As a psychologist, you know me well enough now that I get extra amped up when we have an episode that focuses on mental health in the workplace. And today's episode on the often overlooked aspects of burnout has got me dialed in at a 10. Let's be honest, it seems like nearly everywhere that any of us read or listen to content related to work, I mean, it feels like half of it now is focused on burnout. But here's the thing, there's a lot of misinformation out there. A good amount of it actually comes from business leaders who don't have any licensure or formal training in mental health. Well, our listeners today can think of our episode similar to something they'd see from Mythbusters or Snopes, where we're going to get super clear on what burnout is, its relation to mental illness, and what organizations can do to help prevent it from consuming their team members. But before we go any deeper, and get to our special guest today, it's time for our newest segment, The Perfect Labor Storm. And this is where on each episode, we're gonna focus on just a few disrupting, surprising, or worrisome trends that we think you should know. And here's today's Perfect Labor Storm data, and no surprise, it's centered around burnout in the workplace. According to a survey in 2022, seven in 10 employees are feeling burned out this year. And then nearly half of our record quits that have happened over the last year have been due to the effects of burnout. And what we do know is that money doesn't cure burnout. There's only a 6% difference in burnout rates between folks earning $100,000 a year and $30,000 a year. And then some stats on things that actually help decrease burnout. How about work flexibility? That decreases burnout by 50%. Leadership assistance can lower burnout by around 30%, and having an ally at work can lower the risk of burnout by 40%. And in addition to the personal risks and personal health factors, we also know burnout costs the U.S. economy almost $500 billion, with a B, dollars each year. So this is a huge problem, and I'm glad that we have Rob and Terry Bogue joining us today to talk about how we can extinguish burnout. Jason, those statistics are jaw-dropping sobering. Uh, But here's the one stat, and some of the listeners may have heard this before, or if you've heard me at a a conference or another podcast, this this stat just keeps reverberating in my head. And it comes from Gallup. 
uh, from their State of the Workplace 2022 report. 19%, one out of five employees are miserable. That means that they experienced worry, stress, anxiety, pain, or anger in the last 24 hours. 31%, three out of 10, said they were angry yesterday. So if anyone's listening, if anybody here is listening, uh, feeling the symptoms, you got to know you're not alone. That doesn't solve it. Uh, but even more important, if you're a manager, stop conflating burnout with weakness and a bad attitude. Um, it's it's not a sign of that, that we need more grit. We need more resilience. Employees that are getting burnt out aren't sitting on a couch playing games. They're not taking the easy way out. They're not picking up their unemployment checks. They are working too hard. These are the workers. These are the healthcare workers. These are the restaurant, the hospitality workers. These are the production line workers, the truck drivers that are the airline crews that are working extra, extra hours because they're short staffed. They're not getting burnt out because they're weak. They don't have enough grit, resilience. They're getting burned out because we've reached our human limits. So even the World Health Association has recognized burnout as a burnout from the workplace, burnout from jobs as a world wide crisis and now recognized uh, even as a mental, uh, under the mental health ICD codes. So what can we do better to help extinguish burnout to understand it? So we're really, really excited about this week's guests, Terry and Rob Bogue, the authors of Extinguish Burnout. They understand the impact of burnout on a very, very personal level and are on a mission to help extinguish burnout in the workplace and in society. So a few reminders before we jump in and, and bring them on, because I know we're anxious to get them on. Uh, one is, remember that you can earn SHRM credits just by listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, you get a half to a full credit, depending on the length of the podcast. Uh, you can simply earn those credits by going up to googleizationnation.com. And on the upper right, click on podcast. There's a link for a form. We need to know that you actually listen to it, ask you a few questions, and on, in response, we'll send you the activity code and then you can get, earn some credits. You can do that for any episode. Uh, so anytime you listen to it, uh, just go back to googleizationnation.com, download a form, fill it out, and uh, we'll send you the activity code. Um, if While you're there, if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe to Googleization Nation. And if you're listening to the podcast, uh, please leave a review and rate it. Uh, we're now in the top two and a half percent of all podcasts. We're aiming for, or actually the top 3%. Next next bump is 2.5%, and then we're aiming for one per, top 1%. So we need all, we, we, if you like what you hear, please let us know, uh, rate it, and uh, leave a review. So I think this is a really good time to bring on Terry and Rob. So let me do that. Welcome. Obviously, this is a, a very challenging, difficult topic. Uh, just minutes before uh, the uh, we went on the air, uh, across my desk came a Wall Street Journal article, and it talked about the troubling labor shortages uh, and how in, more and more employees aren't engaged. And it's no longer just a simple problem is they have a bad attitude or they're not happy. Uh, a lot of people are really, really stressed out. So why don't we start with this? Why don't tell us about how burnout became your mission in in the world? 
Uh, so we were struggling and, and my last big um, experience with burnout had nothing to do with work. Um, while work can be impacted by burnout, you can be burnout from anywhere. I was burnout. We had a child who was absolutely not doing the things we thought he should do. Um, Nobody can identify with that, right? None of us right. have had children. In other words, right. it's, no. It was just us. It's okay. You know, I understand nobody else ever had that. But I felt like there was nothing we could do. It was completely hopeless. Um, and the thralls of burnout, uh, we started talking, and Rob had been researching burnout for a lot longer. Yeah, I first started writing about burnout back in 2003. I was talking about it in IT teams I was leading and, and how do they work on it. And, and I, you know, we got to the basics. Um, but when Terry was facing it, well, it was a whole new level. We had, we were talking about, you know, someday we need to put together a presentation about burnout and how do we really help other people because it's such a miserable place to be. The land of burnout is really awful. Um, we were presenting on another topic and I was talking to the people um, who were scheduling us. And I said, you know, we're, we're really talking about somebody doing something with burnout. She goes, oh my gosh, that's great. We're going to do this the Friday before Thanksgiving. Now, you got to understand, this is the end of September, 1st of October. And Rob looked at me with this look of, you're going to say yes. I know you're going to say yes. I don't know that's the right answer. I'm like, oh, sure, we'd love to do that. Go ahead, put it on the schedule, start advertising. Um, and we came back and he's like, we got to write a book first. Because everybody says that, right? Like, we're going to do a presentation, I got to do a book first. Um, but we needed a way, we needed a way to really organize all the research that we had done into a flow that made burnout make sense. I mean, I think you were both talking uh, just a minute ago about how much noise there is in the market about burnout and how do you get the clarity? Yeah, so we wrote the book so, for Sherm. Sherm published it for us. Um, and it really led us down this path of how do we help people? That's perfect. And, and Terry, you actually alluded to it a little bit that there's many different aspects of burnout. So maybe a good place to start before we dig into more specifics of the book is, can you give us a little clarity as to what is burnout specifically? Because just like you and Rob mentioned, we hear about it a lot. Can you give us a short little synopsis and that for our listeners to help clear it up for them? Yeah. So, so classically, burnout is defined by three things. Um, and Frudenberger was originally writing about it in the 1970s, and Maslach did a little bit of work, and this is she kind of uh, codified what Frudenberger was saying, and it's exhaustion, when you feel like you've just got nothing left to give. Now, I'll tell you, this is, this is a red herring. This isn't real, right? The problem with exhaustion is that exhaustion is something you feel even when you're elated. You're having the time of your life. You, you, you've been skiing all day or you went to Disney World or whatever. Exhausted? That's totally normal. But but it is, you know, it's one of those classic uh, characteristics. The second one is interesting and it's cynicism. Okay. And so, uh, by the way, I typically associate the word geezer with <laughs> cynicism, right? And I think of these old guys sitting on the front porch playing checkers, right? Not on a podcast. Not on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but they're on the front porch and they're playing checkers and they're, you know, when I was young, that wouldn't have happened. And right, like that's the vision. Um, and so cynicism, that's that's cynicism. The problem is the cynicism actually is a, is a lagging indicator. It's something that happens afterwards. It's after you get burnout, you get cynicism. Okay, so the third characteristic, and this is the one that's really important, it ties to all sorts of research, is 
feelings of inefficacy. Now, I preceded that with the word feelings or perception. This is the way you feel about whether you're getting things done or not. It's not actual reality, right? Like you can be getting a ton of stuff done. And if you don't feel it, you can totally be in burnout. So if we walk this back, so now we have this inefficacy. If you feel ineffective, you feel like you can't change things. That's what leads to cynicism. The people who are cynical don't believe they can actually have an impact or make a change. Last little thing about kind of packaging this up, just understand that this research actually predates Rindenberger's conversation. And this was Marty Seligman's work on learned helplessness, right? And he took he he took dogs, and by the way, he said, hey, I wouldn't have started with dogs, but the lab was already running with dogs. So, you so know. don't throw stones so, at So yeah, so don't, don't have Peter call him. It's okay, right? It's a long time ago anyway. So he's working with the dogs, and he gives them a mild shock, but restrains them, they can't move. Then two sets of dogs, one that's not properly trained, properly trained, trained, restrained. and the ones that were, and gives them a mild shock with a way to get away. Only the ones that hadn't been trained that they couldn't get away, jump away. He says, hey, this is learned helplessness. They've learned that it didn't matter, didn't have to try. Um, and the thing about that is, you look at inefficacy, you look at learned helplessness, we, we believe that we are not effective. That may or may not be actual reality, that it didn't actually matter that the dogs could get out. What mattered is they didn't feel like they could get out. Um, and so we talked to folks about burnout and we've got a bathtub model and, and things to, you know, other ways to make this make more sense. But we, we go from the perspective of if you feel effective, you will not be in, remain in burnout. That's absolutely fascinating. And as a psychologist, as soon as I hear you talking about Marty Seligman, I didn't learn helplessness. And so a lot of what you were just sharing there, the, the word that was running through my head, and I'll be curious to see if I ever thought the same thing, is mindset. So much of that, the perception has to do with the, the mindset that we have, an inner dialogue that we have. Where does that kind of fit in your your model? And, and I'd love for you to also go into talking about your bathtub model. I think that's brilliant for how you talk about in the book about burnout. But where does mindset fit within that model that you have for burnout? Mindset really, and, and we'll talk about the burnout, the bathtub model after. Um, mindset is that idea that you can accept support, right? Like I could tell you, you guys did a great job on the podcast today. What you would probably say is, oh, you know, it, it was just okay. You wouldn't internalize that, hey, it was really good. You, um, It's the mindset. You know, I could tell you, I did a, he did a great job this morning on a talk. And he'd say, eh, it was okay. But that mindset of accepting the perception that you're doing a good job is really hard. And I think, you know, so often we have self-talk that tells us, you know, hey, you're not doing a good enough job. You know, you may be doing all these things wonderful and everyone around you say, you're so successful and you're so efficient, but if you don't feel it, that mindset changes your perception of everything and drives you right into burnout. So let me do a bit of a transition. So so really quick, simple, something that the listeners can get out of this, right? If someone compliments you, if they say you did a good job with X, right? That's a nice, clean compliment. The answer to that, the response that you should have is thank you, not it's okay. Anybody could have done it. No, 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 no. Thank you. And inside your head. Right, right. Say, that was great. Right. Um, and I can't hear the word mindset without 
thinking about Carol Black's work and the ability that we do have the we do have the capacity to grow and change and neuroplasticity and all that stuff, right? And so um, we we know both from the research and personal experience that the way you view things, your perspective, your mindset, that allows you to change your experience of reality. It doesn't necessarily change reality, but you experience it differently. Two people standing next to each other doing the same job, one can love it and the other one can hate it. And it's all perspective. Um, so, so let me get to the bathtub model. So what we say is if, if burnout is about feelings of efficacy or your feelings of inefficacy, then that's personal agency, your ability to get things done. It's filled by just three things. The first one is results. And we were talking about, you have to recognize those results. You have to accept them. You have to take them in. When we say, hey, Jason, Ira, you did a great job. Thank you so much for having us. This was an amazing time. Great information. You guys can say thank you or you can reject it. And if you say thank you, it fills your personal agency up just a bit. The second thing is support. Now, the thing with support is um, lots of people are willing to offer us support, but we don't ask for it enough, right? We really need to ask for those things that we need support. And if you're, if you're an employee and you have a manager and you've not asked that manager for the tools and resources you need to be successful, that's on you, right? Like you have to own that this is the support I need to get the results I wanna to get to. The last thing that fills a, a personal agency bathtub up is self-care. And this is one of those things that we should probably talk about separately, but, it's, but it, it is so important that we do proper self-care and it's not self-indulgence. Right. Um, the last part of the model is understanding that you have demands placed on you. And a lot of the demands that we place, that we feel are placed on us by other people are actually placed on us by ourselves. We have a certain standard that we wanna uphold about our work and the way we do it. And there's a lot of stuff that we're like, well, my manager doesn't care if I do X or Y. Right, you do, and you can still do X or Y. You just have to recognize you're doing it for yourself. And that is, that leads us to the idea that all of these things have valves on them. You can turn them up, you can turn them down. You can choose to make something very hard or very easy. And you wanna manipulate these valves so that you end up with more personal agency. As long as you have personal agency in your bathtub, well, you're gonna feel effective or you can be effective and you won't experience burnout. I think um, it's important to think of those demands. That's the drain, right? If that's what empties our bathtub. It's on the other side where everything else is filling our bathtub up. Yep. And so it sounds like based off of your model then, Rob and Terry, there are those external demands, the things that are real, where sometimes there may be employers who are asking way too much out of their people. But what you just alluded to also is there's this whole other side of our own inner critic, our own inner voice many times is maybe misconstruing what those demands or expectations are. And so it sounds like, you know, definitely some coaching around mindset is one of maybe the tools in our tool belt for how we help overcome burnout. Are there some other tools that you have found that are really helpful for people or organizations that help address burnout, maybe more on the external side? Like what are some things organizations can do to step up to the plate and help people prevent burnout from happening? And I think Rob alluded to um, accepting support. Um, you have to ask for what you need. You also have to be willing to accept what someone offers you. Um, you know, if your employer is offering you the opportunity to be flexible with your schedule and you're like, no, 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 I have to be here these specific hours. 
I can't take a day off. That's, you know, somebody's going to think I'm not good enough, um, which is a perspective if I take a day off. But if it's offered to you, there's a piece of you have to be willing to accept support. And I think we tend to, as humans, not be great at that. I think, you know, when we're talking to managers, we use the same model. Like, guys, this model works for you. It works for your employees. Look at if if you want to fill results, you want to turn that knob up. When was the last time you acknowledged something that someone did, right? And we and we tried to sort of talked about it a little bit earlier, which is tell them exactly what they did that got to the results that you appreciate, right? And make sure that that's a habit, right? Second is the support. Yeah, we should as an employee, as a as a human being, we should be asking for what we need. But as a manager, as a leader. Your job is to be asking that question. So what do I need to do to support you? If if I could do anything, what can I do to support you? And then there's this negotiation of, eh, I can't really do that, but whatever. But but at least ask the question so everybody's clear. Uh, self-care is one of those things where, and it's not coffee in the break room, and it's not a, it's not a quiet room and a fountain or whatever it is. It's not even right? quarterly yoga. It's not even quarterly yoga. You know, so so how do you encourage and model self-care? I should come back to that in a second. Yeah. So, and then on the demand side, whenever you offer something that, hey, hey, person who works for me, with me, I need this done, you should be asking, what do I need to take off your plate or what deadlines do we need to move so that you can make accommodations for this new thing? And we've gotten, here we've gotten into that habit. Hey, I need you to do this. Is this going to impact anything or do I need to take anything back from you? And being willing to do that, right? right? A lot of times it's easy to add to someone's workflow, but just offer to take something back or to extend a deadline feels uncomfortable sometimes as a leader. I was going to say, I was going to come back to the self-care issue, right? So I'm talking to this guy and he's a powerhouse broker, blah, 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 right? And he's got 15 people. And he says, we're, we're in a kind of open meeting with his folks. And he says, I want to model this. I want to, I want to show people how to do self-care. And I'm like, okay. I said, tell me about your family. He's like, oh, my wife is pregnant and, you know, we've got kids and it's and it's always busy at my house. And I'm like, okay. I said, so how many of the doctor's visits do you go to with your wife? And you can, you can see him recoil, right? He leans back in his chair and you kind of, it's total, yeah, it's Zoom, but it's physical energy about, oh my gosh, this world just changed. And, and he says, well, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, well, your wife is pregnant. She's going to have a baby. It would be nice if you went to the doctor's appointment with your wife. This will probably help you in your marriage. That's not why we're here, but this will probably be helpful. And, and I said, and this shows other people you can leave to take care of your family. You demonstrate. And, and you say, well, that's not self-care. It actually is self-care because it's doing the things that are in tune with who you want to be as a human. And that in and of itself is a form of self-care. So you mentioned earlier, and I'm just trying to, and I'm, I'm, I'm questioning this, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are. If I become cynical and I feel really tired and I'm really stressed out, does, does that mean I'm burnt out? And kind of a next sequence. So how do we differentiate people that are just tired and exhausted and stressed but they're they're not crossing that line. They haven't stepped over that line into burnout because burnout is stress and anxiety and cynicism are problems, but not the problem that burnout is. Yeah. 
Well, so let me pull, if, if it's okay, let me pull stress aside um, because stress is actually interesting. It gets associated with burnout. It certainly has a, um, it has a contributory corrosive effect. But let me, let me do distress. So first of all, nothing external to us can make us stressed. We have external in the environment, those are stressors. Those are lions, those are mortgage payments, those are whatever, those are stressors. What we have to do is an internal calculus, is just internal equation that we, we associate with each of these stressors. The first component is the probability that there's an impact of that stressor, right? Lion's gonna eat me. And, you know, if I'm out on the plains with no protection, it's pretty good. If the lion happens to be in a cage, less, less likely. And then what is the impact? What's the, what do we believe the impact could be? Is it fatal or does it hurt a lot or is it a scratch? That's all divided by your ability to cope. And so this is, this is fear, stress, right? So when we talk about stress, people, humans, have subsumed a process that was designed for lions, which were short-term and temporary. And we have made it about mortgages and jobs and it economy. Is the school and, we put our kids in. And right, and Indian. Um, and by the way, there is an absolutely amazing book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Weird title, but it's all... The, it's good. But it's very good. Robert Sapolsky's work, great guy, great work. And it teaches you how to decompose stress. Um, the other the other work in this space is a book called uh, Emotion and Adaptation. It's a guy by the name of Richard Lazarus that talks about a little bit more about that formula and how you break it down. Okay, so now we have stress, this thing, stress. Why is stress a problem? Well, stress is a problem because it's a payday loan. And what I mean by that is, you don't have any money right now. You go to somebody, you promise them your next paycheck. And oh, by the way, they only want 20% for the one week that they're going to loan you money. Right? 20% interest. 20% interest. Right. Right. And so if you got $100, um, normally they'll give you $80 today for your paycheck on Tuesday. Right. So the, the, the piece of this that's really interesting is we stress what it does in our body physiologically is it stretch, shuts down all the long-term processing. And then restarting that costs us a little bit more. And that's why it's a payday loan. It's a bad call to make. If you have to make it, you have to make it, but it's a bad call to make. When we engage this all the time, we're always losing our efficiency. We're always bleeding off 20% or 40% of our, our capability, our ability to get things done. And as a result, we feel less effective because guess what? We are. Because humans in a sustained state of stress are not as effective. And that builds into cynicism and, and, and fatigue. Right, and that builds exhaustion. into cynicism and fatigue and exhaustion. And I think, uh, so are you going to, how do we separate? How do we differentiate? Um, I will tell you that up on the Extinguished Burnout website, there's several different free uh, burnout evaluations. Um, and you're welcome to do those. If, if what, what we continue to tell people about that separation is, do you feel like you're effective? If that drops out, if you can, if you say no, I don't feel effective, and or work I don't feel in life like I and, can make a difference, or I don't feel like I can make a difference, right. or whatever, um, then then burnouts, you know, there. high probability. Yeah, it's a high probability. That's what's going on. But I love that you just said, and and we got to take a quick break here. Is that bleeding bleeding out efficiency? That article, that same article that I was reading in the Wall Street Journal right before we went on, talked about the paradox that that economists are having now and employers that 
we have this labor shortage, but we also have a decrease in productivity. The, the sharpest drop in productivity that we've had. So we're, we're literally, we're bleeding out efficiency. I mean, that's a sign. I mean, people are leaving the workplace. It's, I mean, I, again, all, all the stars align. All, they all point in the right direction. If only people would get the message and hopefully that we're getting that out today. What I'm doing is hopefully raising the awareness about this, but I'm not the, I mean, I'm not the expert by any means, but that's what the goal is about geek skeezers and Googleization is, is raising the awareness and helping people, everybody get smarter. And we're going to continue to get people smarter about burnout and its impact in, in uh, just a minute. But we're going to take a short break. Uh, you've been listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. I'm Ira Wolf. We're here with Jason Cochran and Rob and Terry Bogue. We're talking about the impact, the, the really tragic impact of burnout and what everybody can do, and especially employers can help people uh, in the lead. It's going to be, it's going to be your solution. Uh, without it, we're just going to continue to burn out people and, and uh, there's just not enough bodies to go around anymore. We will be right back. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future, but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're, today's focus, we're talking about burnout. Uh, we had a really nice comment from Kayla. Uh, let me see if I can put it up here. Uh, Kayla says, listening to this while working, and a lot of nuggets in here, and we're just getting started. So thank you, Kayla. Really appreciate it. Welcome back, uh, Rob and Terry. Uh, we, we had a really, really good discussion uh, for the first part. Uh, we were talking about how to differentiate just exhaustion and cynicism uh, from that. And you offered people to go up to your website, uh, extinguishburnout.com, uh, get some some free uh, uh, surveys or quizzes uh, that you can answer. Are there people that are more susceptible to burnout than others? The, the rates of labor participation are pretty low among younger people. Is it a young people thing? Is it an older people thing? If you've been in the workforce longer, do you have more of a chance of being burnt out than, than if you're just entering it? Um, well, so first, so, so let me do something because you, because you started this up with like myth busters, right? And, and that was part of the lead in. It's like, we're going to bust some myths. Okay. So here's, here's a myth, right? 
and I'll, and I'll give you that I'll give you that it's a myth up front and you can push back on me and say no it's not a myth but there's this myth that Millennials don't stay at their jobs as much as we did as Gen X and boomers right now I framed that as a myth so I've clearly told you I think it's a myth why do I think it's a myth well, there's this little company or organization inside the federal government called the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they, they keep numbers and stuff. And if you plot out the average tenure, because it happens to be the metric they, they track, and you take that against years of work, right? Like, so after high school, college age, um, it turns out that our average tenure roughly is about one third of the amount of working years we've had. So that trend has stayed solid, um, at least you know from when they started collecting data uh, to a few years ago. Now, what COVID will do to that, like that's gonna that's gonna be disruptive, but but we believe that millennials are somehow different than us, than us being old guys um, or gals. Thanks. Um, and, and the reality is that our our millennials have some degree of protection against burnout. And I'm not saying this is necessarily a good thing. The way that they're picking up their their protection is in the everybody gets a trophy culture we created, that everybody gets a participation ribbon and all of that stuff. And so what happens is their internal mechanisms for self-worth and their ability to think that they're great um, uh, there's this thing called GOAT, greatest of all time, right? They have a little bit of this that kind of seeped into who they are. And as a result of that, it's harder for them to learn helplessness or to, 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 to feel like they're not effective. Um, and so I think we're all relatively equal in, in our ability to become burned out. I think that as we get uh, more experience and wisdom, we tend to find the edges of where we can influence things. And so we're also, we're have the opportunity to discover the limits and therefore our inefficacy in certain areas. I also, and by the way, not going to run a marathon and be at the front of that, right? Like I'm, I, I've got enough age. That's not going to happen. Yeah. What, what's interesting here, here's another myth for you, uh, the busters, yeah. some, some of the biggest complainers about millennials, are actually millennials. Yeah. The oldest millennials are now in their 40s yeah. and they're complaining about all these young people and what a terrible attitude they have and yeah. they just don't want to work hard. And I go, I think I, what, I wrote a book about that 20 years ago and you were the target of that. <laughs> and other people wrote books about, about Gen X before that right. and they wrote it about the baby boomers. I have a cover from 1969 on Life Magazine and it was about the, uh, the laziest generation ever and it was about the baby boomers right. so this goes back to uh chaucer and shakespeare yep. uh way 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 back um that it's always the younger generations the worst but I, I every time i hear about the millennials um you know still being identified as everything wrong with the world uh the the, millenn the oldest millennials yep. are now in their 40s and by the way just put things in perspective gen x is now eligible for retirement because many of them are over 55 years old. So people are still talking about these younger generations, how horrible it is. And you kind of alluded to stigma a little bit, right? Like generational uh, stigmas or myths. 
Yeah. How about the mental health stigma? Oh. In, in both of your opinions, have we made any progress, especially over the last couple of years since everything kind of came to a head in terms of awareness because of the pandemic? Have we made any progress when it comes to talking about mental health and supporting mental health in the workplace? I think we talk about it more. Um, I think it's really interesting because burnout is kind of like a status symbol. Hey, I've worked so hard, I'm burnt out. Um, its cousin is depression, um, which people don't want to talk about. Um, so I think, you know, there's still this stigma of I'm not good enough. If I ask for help, there's something wrong with me. Um, and we that's somewhere we need to work further on. I don't think we're there at all. But no, I think so. Progress. Yes. Enough progress. No. Right. Like we're, we're moving in the right direction. And, you know, as Terry said, um, burnout and depression are really closely related. In fact, the research shows that if you take a burnout screen, it is a far leading indicator for probable depression in the future. And so you look at that and, they, and they're relatively indistinguishable, right? There's, there's one distinguish that we can make. But, but when, you, when, you, when you look at this, you say, I don't wanna talk about depression. Give me my Pez dispenser pills, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, whether it's Prozac or whatever, right? But I don't want to tell people that I'm taking them because they'll think they'll think less of me. Um, you know, we we know that there are certain subcultures, veterans, first responders, um, and that's your police and fire medics, and and that there is a certain subset of of the world who doesn't believe that emotions have a place in life, much less inside of our organizations. Now, I think if I were to go back 20 years, we didn't talk about emotion inside of organizations very frequently. Now, I think with the labor shortages and, and all of the transformations and the more flexible work and all that stuff, I think we're talking about it more. Um, but I don't think we've, I don't think we've let go of the stigma of it, right? Not completely, at least. And I don't know if you've heard this before, Robin, Terry, and Ira, but I certainly have seen turnover be used as an indicator by business leaders as to whether or not they have a burnout issue. And yep. that's like, no, that's an indicator of turnover, but you can still have plenty of folks who are burned out, even if you don't have a high turnover rate. So I'm curious, you know, if, if you've ever had interaction with business owners who they're being really myopic and just looking at their turn turnover numbers to think to themselves, do we have any burnout challenges here? What do you say to them? What should they be doing to really get a, a, a grasp on the baseline of what burnout looks like in their organization and then where they should build in supports to help folks? So let me separate. So, so you're absolutely 100% right. Turnover is not the be all end all number. It's got too many other things wrapped into it. The real challenge that I see with business owners is they have to focus on the stuff that's generating revenue and preventing costs today. And I think the reason they look at the turnover number is someone has finally decided, oh, it costs me three times annual salary, or you can pick 1.5 or pick your research study, right? Pick the number. But there's a real cost when I have turnover. I, I have that, that cost I can see. Um, and so I think that makes it the thing that they look at. They, we often look for easy metrics, even when the metrics themselves aren't that valuable. Um, I think what they forget about 
are things like rip, retired in place, right? <laughs> they're they're present. They're just not producing work. Um, or like they had before. Or like they had before, right? Um, yeah, we talked about that years ago. I actually I included that in my yeah. first Perfect Labor Storm book. It was about the cost of presenteeism. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's called right quiet quitting. quitting. Rip, right. like whatever it is, right? But But the thing is, we do, and this is touchy, so we do a lousy job of knowing whether we are enabling employees to reach their maximum potential. We don't know how to measure individual employee contribution, except within narrow areas, call center, sales, like some of that stuff, there are metrics too, because there's enough of them, we know how to do that. But most of us now are knowledge workers. We're using heuristics to solve problems, not algorithms. We're not following the same recipe. And because of that, it's really difficult to tell, are we performing really, really well or not so well? And so when I get into a conversation with a business leader and he doesn't have a turnover problem, because honestly, it's the easiest place to go to. I can show him the bottom line. That's an easy thing. But if he doesn't have that problem, then I go, okay, so tell me how you know that your folks are actually producing at their peak capacity, that you're getting as much from them as you possibly can. And I said, it's, I said this is touchy because we don't want people to feel like they're being taken advantage of or they're being used or whatever, but in a business, you optimize resource utilization. And so that's a place I'll go. And I'll tell you that that's a much, much, much harder sale, right? That is so much harder because I have to, I have to get them to think about the problem differently and I have to expose to them this truth that remains hidden, which is they don't know how to measure the people. Management by objectives or indicators and KPIs and all that stuff, that's all great noise. But at an individual level, you have no idea if someone is social loafing, right? And that's all the way back to Irving Janus and, and are people loafing? That's so good. And Robin, Terry, I can't believe that we're already here near the end of the show. We're going to have to start wrapping up here, but we are ready uh, here for our, one of our favorite parts of the show, the lightning round. And this is where we're going to ask each of you a couple questions just to get to know you better on a personal level and help our audience get to know you better too. And so Terry, let's start with you first. All right, let's, let's go back to high school. What would be something that your high school classmates would be surprised to see about you now? Um, I think they would be so surprised that I am not living in the country. I grew up in the country. My goal was to grow up and be a milkmaid. Actually, that was my first job. So to see that I'm, I'm living in the city and, and presenting and traveling be very different for them. They would it'd be hard to believe. I love that. And Rob, how about for you? Let's think about if you were an animal, what would you want to be? <laughs> if I was a... Can I be a balloon animal? No. Because no, I have to be a balloon. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> um, I don't know. Our dogs have a really good life. So I, I might have to come back as a dog and, and find a way to be here. And I, I'm gonna second that because I was visiting with you a few weeks ago and those dogs, they do have a pretty cush lifestyle. You take really good care of them. So I think that's that's really good. Terry, pick a superpower. What would you want to have? That's a hard one. I think mind reading. 
be able to understand what someone's really thinking um, without having to delve in and, and ask all the questions and bring it out of them. I love that. And Rob, you're getting ready to hit the road on vacation. Where are you headed? Um, we just came back from the mountains. We love the mountains. We love the, we love the ocean. Um, there is a little town in Colorado, Buena Vista, and they'll tell me I pronounced it wrong, but I know Spanish or I pretend to on TV. Uh, and it's, it's this place between the two mountain ranges and it's just a beautiful, amazing place. Oh, that sounds amazing. Terry, if you would have picked teleportation, you could have taken us all there right now, right after the show. Right. Like, if I had known he wanted to go, I would have been there in a minute. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being with us today. Um, Terry and Rob Bogue, the name of the book is Extinguish Burnout. Um, it is uh, published by Sherm, and you can go to extinguishburnout.com uh, to learn more about their work and the book. Um, and then what are some other ways that folks can get in touch with you, Rob and Terry? I'm going to do a plug that everything on the website is free right now, except the book. Um, the code is COVID-19. Um, when COVID started, we decided that burnout was, was a problem with COVID. Um, so everything on the on the site is free and you can tell us how to get um, in touch. And, and they can go to the main website uh, where we do all kinds of crazy things, thorprojects.com. They can, if they want to see us on a show or, or at an event, change in, uh, changeinspired.com. So lots of ways to reach out to us. And, and certainly if somebody's struggling and they can't get the resources they need on the Extinguish Burnout website, please reach out and talk to us and we'll see what we can find you to, to help you feel better. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. Um, on behalf of Googleization Nation, I want to thank you for, for sharing all those things with us and those many wonderful resources. And we will definitely need to have you come back again on the show and get some updates later on down the road if you're open to it. Sounds great. Love to. Thanks. Thanks. You both. Hey, thank you, Rob and Terry. Appreciate it. Maybe when we're out in Indiana, uh, Indiana next, we'll get to actually meet in person. Okay. Hey, bye-bye. Thanks very much for joining us today. So we had a we had actually another question, and I know we're at the end of time, but uh, hopefully uh, Rob or Terry or or Jason, maybe we can all respond to this. It was from Kayla again. Uh, how do you handle being ahead of your time when it comes to understanding burnout and depression? That's interesting. Uh, if you are either facing and addressing that issue at work, can get you fired, even from an HR company. So kind of perplexing, but it's real. And I uh, re really appreciate the, the questions today. There was a lot. I mean, that that felt like a college level course in, in understanding burnout better. But I'll tell you the one for me that I hadn't thought about before was external demands or perspective versus internal demands and perspective. When Rob and Terry were talking about how, yes, there are things that are expected of us from employers, whether it's the, the extra number of hours, those things do contribute to burnout. But there's this whole other side of the coin too, where sometimes in our own heads, we tend to misconstrue things or we may place expectations upon ourselves that other people don't expect from us and that we can actually become our own worst enemy in terms of building up expectations or beliefs about ourselves that we feel like we have to live up to and no one else is holding us to that standard. That was uh, one for me that I hadn't considered before. How about you, Ira? Oh, I got a whole page of notes here. Uh, and I think uh, Alex Perry is going to have to start paying us for this because in the beginning, we were talking about the, the feeling of inefficacy and fake it till you make it. You know, some people aren't very good at that. Imposter syndrome, uh, Whitney Johnson. Uh, these are all 
a podcast that people can go back and listen to. Alex Perry, Whitney Johnson, we talked about disrupting yourself. We talked about that long S curve and people get discouraged in it early on um, because they don't feel that they're going to make it. And, it, and it's, and it takes regret and resilience. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, you get knocked down a lot. So we've had so many great opportunities to talk about it. Uh, there were two state, there was a couple of little statements and I, I love these. A stress is bleeding off uh, uh, efficiency. I, I like, love the analogy about stress is like a payday loan. Um, I think that was excellent. Um, I don't know if you were thinking of this, but we were when we were filling up the bathtub, be like water. Uh, we talk about that all the time in the container and, and the drain and and a couple more analogies. Scott Himes will, will love this one. You know, we can we can control the spigots, the temperature, uh, you know, as long as they work. So, again, one more analogy of of adaptability and being there. So it just went on and on. And I think the question that just stood out, which was also interesting, is this was part of that article I keep referencing in Wall Street Journal. Part of the problem of measuring productivity is we've measured productivity in an industrial world. All the metrics are in industrial world. We need new metrics uh, to be able to do that. And it's putting a tremendous amount of pressure. So um, that's what they were saying is how do you measure productivity? How do you measure when somebody's nearing peak capacity, peak performance? And we don't know for knowledge workers, you know, what that is. Uh, so a tremendous amount that we, we, we learned, Absolutely. you know, from there. Now, but we are at the end uh, of the show, a little, maybe a minute after, but hopefully everybody uh, is, had enjoyed it. We absolutely are going to be continuing this conversation. Hopefully we'll have Rob and Terry back. And just a quick reminder, uh, if you want some SHRM credits for topics like this, please just go to googleizationnation.com, go up to the upper right podcast, click on that, download the form, let us know what episode you listened to, a couple things you learned about it, and we will send you the activity code. Perfect. And we want to thank you for tuning in today, Googleization Nation, and thank you for the support. We're now in the top 3%, knocking on the door of top 1%, hopefully by the end of the year. And then it's all because of our wonderful guests, our production and support team at People Forward Network, and of course you, the listeners at Googleization Nation. If you haven't liked and subscribed to the podcast, left us a rating and review, please do so. I'm Jason Cochran, signing off until next time. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And remember, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>